Hello, Shelton. I, we had a VVS week last week, and I neither confirm nor deny that for the first time in years, I danced. <laughs> Can you believe that? One of the sites made me dance with kids, and I loved it. <laughs> Thank you, all those volunteers who faithfully served, and we are so thankful for all the great work that God has done. One additional comment. Thank you, worship team, as Pastor Shep mentioned. Isn't that so therapeutic, church? Do you know why it's so therapeutic and healing? Because that's what we are meant to do for eternity. We are created to worship him. So I pray that as you dive in to Hebrews chapter 11, the Lord will continually stir our hearts and reorient our affection for him. Uh, this summer, we have been talking about Hebrews chapter 11, Faith That Moves. Uh, for the way of review, real quick, let me just walk through a few characters that we have studied. Uh, Abraham, sometimes even when we don't see the full picture, in the middle of uncertainties and unknown, he's calling us to obey and follow him. And sometimes that requires the death of hope. But even in the death of hope, we trust God for a resurrection knowing that he is able, that he is capable. And then we also talked about Jacob. His strength is made perfect in our weakness, in our vulnerability. Perhaps some of you are right there walking on a limb. Our God is with you in the trials. Last week we talked about Joseph, remember? Even in death, he looked forward to what is to come. Even in death, he had hope because he believed in what God has promised. That's who we are. That's how faith moves us. That brings us to today's man of God. His name is Moses that we will be studying this morning. And the one central question that will drive the sermon is this. By faith, how do you persevere well in hardships? Let me say that one more time. By faith, how do you persevere well in hardships? How can you say it is well with my soul when everything is crashing? Now, I mentioned this last time I preached. The recipient of this letter, the book of Hebrews, letter of Hebrews, were going through not so easy time. When you read chapter 10, especially around 32 and 34, these are a group of people because they believed in Christ their homes were plundered, they were persecuted, they were imprisoned, they were killed for sake of their faith. If you're in the middle of all that, wouldn't you say, God, how am I going to make through this? This is just, just, just too much. How am I going to endure? How am I going to persevere through it all? I don't even know what to do. And now, when you read through the book of Hebrews, there are three main words that denotes the meaning of perseverance and endurance. Because we are going to talk about perseverance, let me briefly walk through what those three main words are so that it's in your memory bank. One of them, which we will look at specifically in 1127, which is translated as perseverance in NIV, is the Greek word katareo. It means to stay forward, like move forth. Do not get bogged down, still keep the course, charge forward. At the same time, there's another word that is also translated as perseverance, 
which is 12-1, but it's actually a different Greek word. It's the Greek word hupomone, and it means to stay put, steadfast, endure. It's the same English, translated the same perseverance. It's just about the same meaning, but little subtle different nuance. And perhaps the most commonly used word is 12-2. NIV translates it as endurance. That's perhaps one of the most commonly used words for perseverance, endure. That's the hupomono. Hupomeno, it means to do not get sink down, stay afloat, keep the course as it is. So while there's a subtle difference in each word, basically when Hebrew talk about persevere, endurance, it means to stay put, press forward, do not give up, endure, persevere, be steadfast in the middle of hardships and trials. Now, let me be honest with you, church. I don't like that word. I don't like perseverance and endurance. Uh, because why don't I like it? It hurts. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> it especially hurts, especially when there's nothing I can do. There are circumstances you know you should do something, but there are times that everything's completely out of your control. You just have to wait for the Lord to come through. And it's painful. Just like Proverbs talk about, what does it say? Cheerful heart is good. It's a good medicine. But what does it say? But a crushed spirit dries up bones. Have you been there that you're so heartbroken? That there's nothing you can do that dries up your bone. You feel like, God, I am physically aching. I cannot sleep. I am paralyzed by this. It's deeply, deeply paralyzing. How in the world are you going to persevere, endure at that time? What I want is happiness, peace of mind, not wrestling, not persevering. Why? Because it hurts. It is painful. All I want, I ask God for circumstantial change that leads to quick solution and remedy. But if you ever read Pauline epistles, when this group of people are going through suffering, Paul rarely, if ever, asks for the circumstantial change. But Paul always prayed that, but the, even in the middle of sufferings and hardship, that you may know Christ. That's called perseverance and endurance. As you walk through that, you are made in the likeness of Jesus Christ when you persevere and endure well. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before I even dive into today's text, perhaps some of you are right there. I don't know what each one of you are going through. Unmet expectation, right there is suffering. Whatever it is in your life that you're deeply troubled by, Please know this. If there is anybody who is there for you, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He endured and persevered till death on the cross for you so that when you are walking through the valley, you know that our God is with you. If you are there, God, I just don't even know how I'm going to make it through. May the Lord speak to your heart as you dive in. When you endure and persevere well, you will come out as a fine gold. May the Lord speak to us as we dive in. Open up the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 23 to 29. We will learn through the example of Moses. By faith, Moses persevered. Let me read the Word of God for us, 11, 23 to 29. Hear the Word. 
By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. This is the reading of God's word. We will learn three things today through the example of Moses. How do you persevere well in hardships? First, embrace the cost of obedience. Have a realistic expectation, Chelton. When you obey Rather than just going with the flow, going with the flow of temptation, rather than just giving in, when you endure with obedience, you only face greater resistance. When you're going with the flow, just enjoying the pleasure of the world, you don't even know how powerful the hardship is because you're just enjoying it. But when you're obeying, you will feel the greater opposition in a sense because you know how difficult it is. Have a realistic expectation. Suffering is not the matter of if. But when? So first, embrace the cost of obedience. Second, especially when the suffering and hardship comes, how do you persevere well? Assess your true value. Assess your true value. It's a golden opportunity to realign your true allegiance. Suffering and hardship is a power to reveal that to you. So first, embrace the cost of obedience. Second, assess your true value. And the true secret of persevering well, enduring well in hardship is by looking to Christ. Third, look to Christ. Let's dive in one by one. First, embrace the cost of obedience. How does the text begin? Verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw, they, they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, what happened? From the birth, Moses almost didn't make it. What happened? He was born by Levites, parents Jew. But then, by that time, Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh declared the law, hey, kill all the firstborn boys. Throw them into the Nile River. So Moses' parents tried to hide him, but when they were no longer able to do it, they just put Moses in a basket in a Nile River. If you are parents, you know babies are, babies are helpless. They cannot even move their neck. They are, at the, from the birth, Moses faced major crisis of death. But then his fortune dramatically changes. All of a sudden, while Moses was drifting, drifting down the river, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Who's Pharaoh? The most powerful man on earth. All of a sudden, Moses becomes Pharaoh's grandchild. 
from the brink of death, now he has promised royal road, success, fame, rich, elite education, comfort. It's all promised to Moses. Is that what Moses chooses as he grows up? No. Verse 24, what does it say? Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What happens is this. Last week, we talked about Joseph. Joseph was one of the unique figures who was able to perform a dual agent. What I meant by that, even he was Jew. By that time, when he was sold into Egypt, there were really not that many Israelites. There were not that many Hebrews. So Pharaoh's like, oh yeah, you can have double allegiance. You can be both Jews, and you can also be a prime minister in Egypt. You are fine. But by the time of Moses, Jews were really fruitful and multiplied. There were a whole lot of them. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's feeling threat. Whoa, these people are going to take over my world. So Pharaoh began to really persecute them, exploit their neighbor, sold them into slavery. Their, the persecution was horrible. So for Moses, all of a sudden, he had to make a choice. Is he going to enjoy, what does verse 25, enjoy the pleasures of Egypt, enjoy the rich fame, success, elite education, all the comfort of life promised, or is he going to choose to suffer with the people of God? Now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he had to make the sudden choice. Exodus chapter 2, Moses is out and about, and then he sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating up Israelite. Moses, out of anger, but also premeditated, what does he do? He decides to kill the Egyptian taskmaster. This is not right. Boom. Egyptian taskmaster is killed. Why is that moment all about? All of a sudden, Moses is abandoning his glory, fame, and rich, and success, all that was promised through the Egypt. But he chose to be with the suffering people of God. Talking about embracing the cost of obedience, he had to abandon all that. When you read verse 24, Moses refused to be known as kings, the Pharaoh's son of Pharaoh's daughter. He abandoned his status. When you read verse 25, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He denied the status in verse 24. He denied the pleasures of life in verse 25. When you read verse 26, it will also say that Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. He denied the status, pleasures of life, and wealth. When he decided to side with Israelite instead of siding with Egypt. Now, if you're Moses, what would you think? Oh, well, I was able to enjoy both sides. But now that I've chosen, okay, God, I obeyed you. You called me for this, to be with the people of God who's suffering. At least they would accept me. They would like me. I stood up for them, right? Well, guess what happened? Just the day after he killed the Egyptian, a taskmaster, he's out and about. And now this time, Moses sees two Israelite Hebrew fighting one another. Moses, being the nice peacemaker, well, let me mediate this conflict. Let me step in this situation. Hey, guys, what are you guys fighting? Don't fight. It's not good for you. What does Israelite, they say? Also, they were saying, who are you to judge over us, Moses? Who are you to rule over us? Are you self-appointed ruler or what? They reject Moses. And also they say, 
Well, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian taskmaster yesterday? Now, what happened to Moses? If you're Moses, a few things are going through your mind. First of all, just a couple days before, you were able to enjoy both sides. Now, all of a sudden, by choosing to be sided with Israel, suffering people of God, he lost Egypt's its glory, its pleasures of life. But now he's rejected by them as well. Does that remind you of anybody? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he left the ultimate inner circle, triune God in the heavenly glory. He stepped down as a second person of Trinity, took the fleshly form to love us, to be with the suffering people, and we rejected him as well. Moses also, from enjoying all of them, it's completely outcasted. Not only that, Moses found out that, whoa, wars are going around. It's a matter of time that Pharaoh finds out what I've done, that I killed the Egyptian taskmaster. What am I supposed to do now? Talking about cost of obedience, doing the right thing. Verse 27, what happened? By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing king's anger. Moses could have reverted his ways, right? I mean, in the end, he's a royalty. He can go back to Pharaoh's, Grandpa, I'm sorry, I had a little temper tantrum. This Egyptian and I had a little conflict, so I decided to kill him. I mean, when you are the grandkid of Pharaoh, you can do whatever you want. It's not uncommon at that time for the royalty to kill commoners. But Moses decided not to do that. He still decided to side with the people of God. What does he do? He left Egypt. All this again, leaving all the glory, fame, and rich that was all promised. To the eyes of the world, that's foolish. Because he had everything promised, a comfortable, comfortable life, royal road. What does Moses do from the royalty now? He's fleeing to Midian, became the most ordinary, lowly vocation, becoming a shepherd boy for 40 years. Do you think that's the end, talking about cost of obedience? Now, finally, he's kicking back in Midian for 40 years, and then God shows up once again. Verse 28, when he talks about by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood. It's talking about the 10th plague in Egypt. While Moses is kicking back in his retirement in his 80s, God shows up burning bush. Moses, just kidding. Time to go back to Egypt. If you're Moses, I'm like, what are you doing, God? I obeyed you. I left all the glory to come over here. And did you bring me back to the lion's den? To Pharaoh? Are you kidding me? It's okay. I guess I got to go. So he brings the people out. Verse 29, what happens? By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. Now Moses bring the people of God out of Egypt. It's slavery. Only to find out Egyptian armies are chasing behind them. Oh, they're just seeing in front of them. There's a mountain stuck. He's about to get slaughtered. Talking about the cost of obedience. Moses did what is right. And what happened? Everything falls apart. What are you going to do? Of course, our God comes through and opens up the sea and they press forward. Our God never fails you. Chelton, here's what we learn. Sometimes when you obey the Lord, it seems like it is only leading you to disaster. But it's not. It is only keeping you away from the ultimate disaster. You just cannot see it with your eyes yet. Obedience is always worth it, even though it costs you. It all sometimes involves suffering. What is God calling you to do today, Chelton? Perhaps some of you, you give. Because you give your possession financially, you suffer. You don't get to enjoy the certain pleasures of life because you have given up your material possession for the glory of God. 
God, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to sacrificially give? Some of you might believe that, oh, because I have given, he'll triple fold financially. He might or he might not actually. It's totally up to God. But what you're declaring before the Lord is that, God, money does not have hold over me. This is yours and I'm going to obey even if it costs me. If you're a parent, you give so much to your children with a little return. Is that worth it to raise children in the way of the Lord by sacrificially giving yourself day and night? Absolutely. When God calls you, embrace the cost of obedience. Do you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, scholar, who fled during the World War to the comfort of America, but he realized, no, God is calling you back to Germany. He gets on the last ship back to Germany to suffer with his people, and it only leads to what? Death. He eventually is executed when he's plotted to find out, found out to, to execute Hitler. Is that life wasted? Absolutely not. Obedience is always worth it, even it involves suffering, even it costs you. So, Chelton, when God calls you, how do you persevere well? How do you endure well? Embrace the cost of obedience. Look no further than the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does it say? After he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Because Jesus obeyed the calling of the Spirit, you think because Jesus obeyed, he was led to the mountaintop glory. No, he was led to the wilderness. Sometimes because you obeyed, God is leading you to the thick down in a valley. But Charlton, even in the valley, our God is good. Even in the valley of your suffering, even in the valley of your greatest heartache, our God is with you. He does not fail you. He's walking before you even in that valley. Obedience might seem like, man, it's just leading to disaster. I don't get to enjoy the pleasures of life. No, it is only keeping you away from the ultimate disaster of your complete self-absorption. Give yourself away. Embrace the cost of obedience. That's one of the secrets of persevering well even in the middle of hardship of your life. Um, by no means I'm a chemist. By no means I'm a goldsmith. But what I do know is this. Uh, when the goldsmith wants to purify the gold, do you know what it goes through? It's literally going to go through a meltdown process. This goldsmith puts the gold in a refiner's fire that is incredibly, terribly hot and worst heat you can imagine. Through the terrible heat, this gold is going to meltdown. It's going to meltdown. Terribly difficult. But what happens? As the gold melts down with the terrible heat and sufferings and hardship, impure particles rise. And the goldsmith purifies the impure particle. After the trials and suffering and hardship, the gold is coming out more purified, more durable, more cleansed than ever before. Shelton, God might bring you through that through your obedience. If God has called you to the wilderness and valley, faithfully walk through it. Because our God is right there with you. Look at Moses. Can you imagine? God, I obeyed you and I lost all the pleasures of Egypt. God, I obeyed you and my people reject me. God, I obeyed you and I had to leave all the glory and flee to Midian for 40 years. God, I obeyed you. Now you're leading me back to Egypt. God, I obeyed you. Now I'm about to get drowned in the Red Sea. But even in the middle of all that, no, obedience did not lead to disaster. It was only the grand scheme, grand plan of God that God has planned in your life. We just sometimes cannot see it yet. 
Do you trust him in your sorrow and suffering, Chilton? How do you persevere? Well, first, embrace the cost of obedience. Second thing we learn through Moses' life is that when the suffering and the hardships come in your life, assess your true value. It's the golden opportunity. See verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 27, he persevered, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses was looking ahead. That's how he was able to endure. Notice the word he says in verse 26, regarded. It's the Greek word, hegeomai. It literally means to assess. When you look up the dictionary of this word, it says it means to engage in an intellectual process of discernment, to deeply engage in an intellectual process of what is more worth it. So this is what Moses did. Hey, what is more worth it? Pleasures of Egypt, success, royal road, best education you can imagine, all the being the richest people, being the grandkid of the most powerful man on the planet, or obey God. And suffer with people of God. What does it say? He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses truly assessed the two situations. For me, this is worth it. Obedience is worth it even though I have to abandon all the comfort and richness of life. That word regarded is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.8. I consider, I regard, I assess Everything as lost in comparison to the knowledge of Christ. Shelton, when the suffering and hardship and difficulty comes, it's an incredible opportunity to assess your true allegiance, assess your true value. Why is that so important? Because you are only as durable as your most ultimate value in your life. Let me say it one more time. You are as durable as your most treasured value in your life. What I mean by that is this. If your ultimate value within your heart, deep down in your heart, functionally, you value the most relationship, relationships. When the failed relationship happens, it will not only lead you to discouragement, it will lead you to despair. It will dry up your bones, crush the spirit. You will be completely dysfunctional. If your true value, the ultimate value of lies in the financial security, when the stock market crashes, so you. You are going to crash with that as well. There's nothing to hold you. If your true value, the ultimate allegiance of your heart, because you have invested in so much in your children, lies in the well-being of how your children turn out, when they do not behave, it will crush you. It will, you will die a million deaths before you even know it. If your true value lies in the approval of others, you will always feel rejected. You will always feel like you have to perform. You will always feel like you have to prove yourself to others. I am worthy. Notice me. Approve me. If your true value lies in control, you will always feel like everything's out of control. And you will either lead to complete anxiousness or burst of anger. See, whatever you put your most ultimate value in, you're only as durable as that. And all the things of the world, even to Moses, the pleasures of Egypt was not worth it, worth it for him. If you put all your eggs in one basket of pleasures of the world, what are you going to do when you die, when it all fades? You will 
crash with that. So what is your ultimate value, allegiance of your heart today? And you might say, I got no clue, Jen. How do I find out? Well, you can think through your heart, but also the golden time to know what is really deep-seated value of your heart is when everything crashes, when you go through major sufferings in your life. When you go through major heartbreak and disappointment, it will reveal suffering. It's that power to show what is really in your heart. Many of you know, um, just a few weeks ago, I got to spend some time away in Korea. Uh, I, got, I got to go home, be with my parents after a year and a half being here. It was wonderful. It really was. I thought it was great. Um, but what I did not realize was that because I transitioned in the middle of pandemic to Shelton, I moved to new community, new house, new church, had to lead the church through. I guess I suppressed so much within me what I need to deal with a long time ago. All the garbage that was in my heart just became, <laughs> came out while I was home. I was experiencing complete meltdown. In South Korea, we have this thing called early morning prayer meeting. My dad is a pastor. We live on the second floor. First floor is church. Second floor is our house. So I got up every day around 4 a.m. I would go out and run for two, three miles to just clear up what is all the garbage that was within me. And I would come to church at 5.30 every morning, just crying, sobbing, praying till 8 a.m. every day. I mean, I did not know how much I suppressed it. It was ugly. Just like I talked about gold dismiss, in the terrible heat of suffering, all those impure particles rose to the surface. Poor dad. <laughs> he had to listen to me five, six hours talking about the same thing over and over all day long. Mom's like, are you okay, son? I'm like, I'm okay, mom. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. <laughs> but God met me there, Shelton. All those impure particles rose, and he was just sifting through my heart, Jen. You have misaligned the volume, and why do you put all your eggs in that basket? I am your hope. I am your true allegiance. Why are you so dysfunctional? I did not know how much that was within me, that all those toxic came out to surface. And by grace of God, he is healing me. So, Shelton, whatever you are going through, do not waste your sorrow and suffering. It will only when you persevere and endure well, you will come out as a refined gold. It's the golden opportunity for God to make you more resilient, more durable people of God. Do not waste your sorrow and suffering. So where are you today? So we talked about how to persevere well in life, embrace the cost of obedience, and assess your true value. And when it's misaligned, how do you realign that? Lastly, third Look to Christ. Read verse 28 with me. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. What is this sprinkle of blood? A lamb was slain in every household. This is talking about ten plagues that swept across Egypt. And the final plague was the killing of the firstborn unless you sprinkle the blood of the lamb on a doorpost, smear that on a doorpost, and the destruction will pass by. Now, this is what Christendom, one of the early church fathers, says about it. If then the blood of the lamb preserved the Jews unhurt in the midst of Egyptian and under so greater destruction, much more will the blood of Christ save us 
who have had it sprinkled not on the doorpost, but in our souls. Do you have blood of Christ sprinkled, smeared in your heart, Shelton, today? Christ is the one that you need. Your ultimate value and allegiance ought to be. All the other values are not durable enough to carry you through, Shelton. All those values, when you fail them, they will not forgive you. You will die a million deaths. But Christ is the only one. When you fail him, he's there to meet you at your vulnerability and weakness. When you meet him, when you see the goodness of him, he will satisfy you. Shelton, reorder your love and value to Christ and Christ alone. How do you persevere well, endure well in hardship? Look no further than how Jesus Christ endured the cross for us. Because Jesus Christ was obedient to death, can you imagine what Christ had to go through? For us, obedience, what it seems to lead to disaster, actually it is only keeping us away from disaster. You know why? Because Jesus Christ, through his obedience, faced the ultimate disaster. Obedience should open up heaven for us, but for Jesus Christ, obedience opened up hell. He was descended into hell so that when we are walking through the valley, when life brings us so many trials and hardships and temptation and persecution, we say, our God, Jesus Christ, has endured on the cross for me. I am not alone in my sorrows. He is with me. Children, I wish I can be so much creative, compelling way to tell you how wonderful really Jesus is but I honestly don't know what I would do apart from it. If life is up to me, up to me to decide what my ultimate value should be, it's up to my work ethic, how hard I can work, I'll perish every day. I won't be able to sleep at night. But in the end, our God is sovereign. He's bringing you through refiner's fire. Stay in it. He's sanctifying you. He's purifying you. Aren't you glad that our Lord Jesus Christ persevered and endured the cross? Because he has endured the cross, we can have this glorious hope. How do you persevere well? Look to Christ today, who is sanctifying you, making you in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Shelton, Jesus loves you. He really does. He loved you to death. That's our hope. Look to him, and then you will come out as a resilient, durable people of God. Let us endure and persevere well today in him. Let's pray together. Oh God, we look to you. God, would you melt our heart and would you give us resilience to just keep beholding you until you melt our heart? Sometimes we behold you and quickly go about our days. But allow us to tarry, allow us to linger, allow us to dwell in the presence of you at the foot of the cross. And as you behold the wondrous love of you, I pray that you melt us. God, sometimes you bring us through the fire. We don't like that. I don't like to persevere. It dries up my bones. So painful. But, oh, Lord, as you sift through our hearts, make us more like Jesus Christ. Through your suffering, we are redeemed and through our suffering, we are made more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, give us hope. Give us resilience. Give us endurance, even in the middle of hardship. God, we believe that you are able. You part the sea. You can sift through our hearts and help us to press forward. God, we pray in the persevering, 
loving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.